0: I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Welcome to the Tuesday live stream. Um, this is hopefully going to be really helpful for those of you that want to be Bible teachers I'm going to be talking today about tips, a slew of tips, a whole bunch of tips that I've gathered from twenty years that's right of uh, of teaching the Bible. Um, And if you think that you find the teaching I bring fruitful, then maybe there's things that I can share with you that will help improve your own service to the Lord as you teach the word, as you share the truth with others in that sort of format where you have a a pulpit or a place where you're speaking and everyone's listening, that kind of thing. So you're going to get a ton of tips as well as recommendations for some free resources, and I'll talk as well at the end about the paid Bible resource that I use when I prepare my Bible studies, which I've have used for years now. I find it really, really helpful. Um, so, so yeah. Welcome to the Suzy live stream. If you have questions, we're going to answer those at the very end of the live stream. You can put them into the live chat with a capital Q, so that we know that's a question, and then we'll gather them, just one question per person, and I'll answer as many as I can at the end. Um, but let's dig into this. Um, And take what I'm going to say with consideration, with thought, because some of it's just my opinion. Uh, Other is not my opinion. Some of it's really just, this is biblical, this is just what's reality, and you need to fall in line with that if you're going to teach God's Word. Uh, But this is going to be here, advice for Bible teachers. Let me start with this scripture. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and it says that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The idea here, the idea here, is that the Bible is the thing that's going to build up the church. It's it, we, we need the body, the body of Christ with our spiritual gifts, active in each other's lives, but we also need the scripture being being shared, being taught, being used to correct. It's God's holy word that is the center, that is the focus of this thing. Um, I say that because sometimes teachers, they start wrong by thinking that what they're bringing is more important than what the Bible is bringing to to the equation. I think we need to let the word of God be over us and above us as teachers so that we don't get off base and we don't get weird and we don't water down things and think that, you know, turn our Bible studies into self-help programs that uh, that are lacking the power of God's word. Um, 2 Timothy 2:15 says this, "Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth." Now here's an example of of good Bible studies, good Bible study technique. Second 2 Timothy 2:15 2. is speaking of the word of truth, which was that auditory message that they'd heard from Jesus and from the apostles. So he wasn't speaking of the written word at the time because it was still being written. Some of well the Old Testament was already written, they would have included that, but the new was still being written. This is just an example of good, I think, good Bible study uh, technique here. Um, but but the message that was the word of truth that was brought into uh, Timothy's life, that was brought into the early church, it has been written down in our New Testament. So guess what? That is the word of truth. So there's a, a, a thoughtful way of bringing it right to the text of scripture where we're not assuming our meaning, but we're getting it out of the text. Okay, that may have been too complicated for the beginning. But my point here is this. This changes everything when I realize the Bible, the Word of God, that's the focus. That's that's the center of my teaching. Everything I'm going to bring is going to be drawn from the text of Scripture, and I'm only sharing that which God has given for his people. That's the goal. The Bible guides my teaching entirely. Not my expectations, not your expectations, not my agenda, not somebody else's agenda. The Word of God sets the agenda for me as I study it and learn it. I trust this is what the people of God need. Um, so that already is just a... A thing that Bible teachers need, if you're going to teach the word, you've got to have confidence in not only the, the fact that it's true, but the fact that it's sufficient. This is what the church needs. And if you believe this, it will infect your teaching with goodness. I mean, because you, I mean, I trust that the scriptures are what we need, that what will heal marriages is a is a biblical understanding of marriage, that what will, will help us get through our anxiety and our times of fear um, or our trials. Help us do, be, you know, have longevity in serving the Lord. Like all this is in the scripture. The things that will make us wise unto salvation, it's in the word. And you believe these things, it changes the way you teach. Um, and it takes the pressure off you because it's not about you. It's about communicating the truth of God's word. So let's go through a whole bunch of tips, um, things I've learned. Some things I've learned the hard way. And uh, there's more that I could share than, than what I'm going to give you today. But here's a whole bunch of things that might make you in some way a better teacher of the word, or even one who simply shares scripture with other people in, in a better fashion. I think when most of us begin, when I first started teaching, I was 19, I uh, first started teaching, uh, most of us begin by by dipping into our mental resources and we start quoting other teachers. And this is, I think, for most of us, this is our primary source of information for what we put in our Bible studies. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You primarily quoted other teachers when you started out. You, you heard this from so-and-so. You heard that from so-and-so. You think they're trustworthy as a teacher. So you borrow their, their content and put elements of what they've said in your study. Um, basically, you start by repeating what you've heard from other teachers. And I think that this is unfortunate. Um, let me say, it's, it's, it feels like a safe place to go, a safe place to start. But somebody, some people never go beyond this. They never go beyond this to just like studying the text to find out what it really says, not just saying, well pastor so-and-so taught this, so I'll repeat that whenever I come to this passage that is that is a, a shortcut and perhaps even an abandonment of actual responsibility to be one who studies and teaches the word. Now I did not know this when I first started out because you first start out you're like I just gotta I just gotta find something to teach and I remember the first book I ever taught was James and I taught it lousy. It was very poorly done. Um, And the next book I taught was Galatians. And that was when I studied the word and I had so much to share. And it wasn't because I borrowed it from someone. It was because I was getting it from the scripture. And that was a whole different thing. Um, So what I'm going to say is don't start by just repeating what you've heard. This means you've got a lot of work cut out for you, right? Because you start with a blank page, you know, on one side and the Bible on the other side. And you're like, okay, where am I going? Well, that's how it starts. That's how your Bible study ought to start. Not, I have three points, let me find a passage of scripture that's going to give me my three points, that's not quite how it's supposed to work. So I'm going to say this, start with just the Bible and you, a notepad, or I use like Microsoft Word and I'm typing notes, I just, you know, copy and paste a big portion of scripture right there and then I start taking bullet point notes, you know, kind of like a college textbook class, the textbook way you take notes in college, that's kind of how I do my my notes. Um, some of those notes are available on my website BibleThinker.org if you're interested in seeing it it won't be impressive it's just organized it's an organized way of thinking um, so I would say start with just you in the Bible blank sheet of paper or Word document or something like that the next thing I'll say is this do not look at commentaries my, my next tip is don't look at commentaries yet I'm not saying never I'm saying yet don't start with commentaries you know you read one verse you haven't even read the whole chapter you haven't read the whole book yet you read one verse you go right to a commentary you are not helping yourself understand the passage you're only piecemeal getting little tidbits of information that you don't even ha- you're not even equipped to evaluate yet because you haven't studied the passage for yourself so commentaries can wait start with the passage look at it read it multiple times that's the first thing you want to do really just read through it multiple times i love listening on audio i'll put my my phone on the scripture and i'll just listen to it and i'll back it up listen to it back it up chapter before chapter after uh, if I haven't done the book before, then I'm going to, you know, listen to the whole book or read the whole book. I, I want to get it all in context. And so in prep for Mark, I've been doing Mark recently, I, I'm hearing Mark a lot in my house. You know, it's, we're hearing the gospel of Mark a lot because I'm playing it. I'm doing whatever I'm doing in my life and I'm just playing the gospel of Mark. I'm I'm just listening to it, you know, not even to study it, just to listen to it, just soak in the scripture. So read it multiple times. That's actually super important. I also want to say this. A lot of Bible teachers, you wait until the last minute to prep for your Bible study. So you're teaching Sunday morning, and it's Saturday night, 8 p.m., and you start prepping. I, now, I know that can happen, like, where you had no control over it, because life can be that busy sometimes, but most often, it's probably not necessary. It's just procrastination. I'm going to encourage you to start prepping way ahead of time, right? A week ahead of time, at least, where you're looking at the passage already, you know, I I haven't started my serious note-taking for the next study next Sunday. It's Tuesday now for next Sunday. But I've already done like a couple hours of research and some work on that study um, just on the side. You know, I've been listening to it. I've been thinking about it. I've read it. I've read ahead past it. I've already considered what section I want to teach. But I haven't really sat down and just devoted a whole day of of prep to it. You, 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 You start way early. That's the thing. Start way early. There's something about letting the scripture just sort of marinate. Because you think about things differently the second time, the third time, a day, two days later than when you first think about them. This is hugely beneficial, just letting the the Word of God kind of marinate in your mind. But I'd also say don't just study early. So it's not like you prep a week ahead of time and then for a week you do nothing. Rather, study early but spread out your study. Think about it this way, like can I spend an hour on it today? Can I spend a couple hours on it this day? Can I at least do it in two settings? At least two settings this day, and then uh, and the next day, and then maybe I'm teaching it a day or two days later, give yourself time, because it will change your, your study, it really will, um, so uh, let's see some more, um, more, more stuff that I've, I've learned, I got so many tips for you guys, I hope they're fruitful, and I hope they bless you, and if you have tips that I'm not sharing, that you think are important, put them in the comments, I'd love to hear from you guys, um, so, and by the way, thanks for joining us, and just being part of this live stream, being part of this, this ministry, um, Blesses my heart to see the impact it's having in people's lives. I get messages every day from people and um, tremendously encouraging. All right, so we talked about um, how we don't want to start by just repeating what we've heard other people say. We, we don't want to look at commentaries. We want to read the passage, read it multiple times, start our prep early. We want to spread our prep out. Now I want to say study for more than your message. Study for more than your message. So you're, if you're only going to the text to find what you're going to say that day that you teach, then you're robbing yourself of important avenues of study that you should have, even for your teaching. Well, let me to explain. Um, when I did teach Galatians, that was the first book I really taught, in my opinion. I remember long journeys into the Old Testament where it's talking about Abraham. And I so I go and I read the whole story of Abraham. And then I'm looking at, and trying to figure out why is he quoting it in Genesis? I had to go read it and study it and think about it and really spend time on it. And then I'd be looking at Psalms that talk about this or that. And so as I'm in the New Testament, I'm spending a lot of time in the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Now, when I went to teach, I didn't share most of that content with people. Most of the stuff I learned and saw and read and thought about, I didn't share with anybody. But I needed to do that sort of extra study in order to be able to simply say, this is why it's being quoted in Galatians. Like that was it. And so sometimes you will study for hours on a topic so you could give a one sentence explanation in your actual Bible study. That's just reality. And I'm talking about people who want to have like real Bible studies, right? I say embrace the detours. Embrace the detours. When you come across something and you go, wow, my knowledge on this topic is a little weak. I'm just going to take a detour and I'm going to go ahead and study this thing separately. And maybe only an element of it will enter my actual message. That's fine. I need this so that I can be standing upon, you know, the clear teaching of the word of God. I need it. Um, so let's go real quick over to our cat cam. <laughs> I keep forgetting to do the cat cam. There it is. That's Moxie. Yep. Oh, I can't quite adjust it very well, but it... she, she laid down. There you go. Okay. Just want to let you guys see the cat back to our topic. <laughs> just that's, that's for you guys, for the cat people in the audience. Um, the next thing I want to say is this and this is all easy obvious stuff I'm going to get into some more complicated stuff as we go but I want to start with sort of the bare bones Bible study tactic technique stuff um, context is king and this is this is something that you will never ever outgrow context is the key for answering most of the questions you have about any given passage in the Bible context immediate context phrases right there about um, the context in the chapter the context in other books context is king and that's where you start you start with The immediate context. When you have a question, don't run to a commentary. Run to the context. First, you can get commentary help later, but first, try to answer your own questions right in the passage, right with the things that are said in the passage. You see me do this all the time in my studies. I'll go like, why this? And then I'm like, well, look up, one verse before it said this. Ah, well, that answers our question. Um, This also helps you to avoid bias. Because bias is like the opposite of... (laughs) This this totally fixes your Bible study prep time. When you come to a passage and you already know what you want to get out of it. I know I'm going to quote Philippians 4.13 because I want to encourage them in this fashion. Then you read Philippians 4.13 and you read it with your bias already in mind. But when you ignore that for a minute and you say, contextually, is that really what this passage is saying? Well, then you, you step away from your bias and you have to prove that you're right before you can go out and preach it to the crowd. That this is where you start with the passage, you don't start with your point. This is in your own prep time. Start with the passage, not with your point. Set your point aside and ask, does this passage really say what I want it to say? Because it may not. I actually made a contract with myself, uh, between me and the Lord. (laughs) I made a commitment, and it was weird because I felt like I had to make a commitment about this, to never quote a passage out of context, to never use it out of context. And the reason why I felt like I had to actually make this sort of commitment to God was because so many verses I'd heard taught over the years, I would be, I'd be prepping and I'd be thinking, oh, I want to talk about something related to fear. And I would think, oh yeah, such and such pastor always quotes this verse. That's such a great verse. I'm going to put it in my, in my Bible study and quote it. And then I'd pause and go, you know, I've never looked up the context of that verse. I wonder if it really says what I'm using it for. So I would go to the context and read it. And I can't tell you how many times I had to, I had not used that verse in my Bible study. I had to just not use it because frequently some of those go-to verses that I would heard were actually used out of context. So I had to make this this deal with myself because I felt the pull, and I think other Bible teachers do as well, to use this Bible passage out of context because it preaches well or because it will encourage people, it will help them, but it's not legit because that's not what God was saying in that passage. My thought is, stop it. Don't use it. Give up on that verse. You're teaching people to wrongly divide the scriptures. You don't want to do that. If you want to encourage them, find a verse that really does. Don't just use one taken out of context regularly. So make a contract with yourself that you'll just never use a verse out of context, not even for good. This is hugely important, and I'm embarrassed uh, at sometimes really seasoned teachers who have never made this sort of promise, the t- commitment to God. Many of them, I've even heard them say, well, it may not be what it really means in the passage, but it means that to me. And I'm like, well, then stop. Like, <laughs> don't. It doesn't matter if it means that to you. It matters if it means that. This is this is God's message to us. We don't alter the message for each person. We read it. We learn it. We 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 share it. But it stands firm, unchanged over time. Um, a word on... Um, on how to um, maybe get yourself to think outside the box on a passage. And I don't mean outside the box of what Scripture is teaching, but outside maybe your own assumptions. You read a passage, and to you it's only about, you know, one little thing, but really the passage itself has to do with other things that are going on that you've never thought about before. Um, So one thing you can do is this, is write down a list of questions. I do this frequently. Um, When I did my study recently on the unforgivable sin... Actually before I taught on on the passage, in fact before I even studied the passage, I wrote down a list of like 13 or 15 questions that I had on the unforgivable sin. I even asked a couple people, send me questions you have about the unforgivable sin. And I wrote all these questions down. I didn't even answer them. I just wrote them down as questions. Then I started my study on the topic, right? Went through the passage where Jesus talks about it and the various other related passages. Then after studying it, I went back to my questions and I said, can I answer these now? based on a careful study of the passages. And I went through and I tried to answer those questions. And I, I think this is a really smart way to do this, um, to uh, incorporate questions, have a list of questions about a passage. You don't know exactly what it means. You, you're you like, what was, you know, here's, a, you're in John chapter three and you go, what was Jesus trying to tell Nicodemus? Question mark, right? There's a good question. Why did Jesus speak to Nicodemus in something that sounded kind of like a riddle? Question mark. Why does Jesus say that, That you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? What about the Old Testament would have made Nicodemus know this already? Question mark. I don't know the answers yet. I'm just writing down questions that I get from the passage. So questions are huge. Uh, They really help you because they draw, they come naturally from the text and they give you something to study and you know that other people are asking those same kinds of questions. Um, So yeah, lists of questions are great. Um, Illustrations are also, uh, oh, but about your questions. Look for answers to your questions in the text. Look in the very, those exact verses for answers to those questions. I asked in the Mark study uh, I did just the other day, what was the reason why the apostles were scared or were uh, were rebuked, excuse me, for, for lack of faith? What was it that they were lacking in faith? And to try to get at this, I, I finally came to the, to the really important question. If they had had faith in that scenario, what would they have done differently? This was a scenario where the storm is raging. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus says, Why do you have, why do you have no faith? And I thought, well, what would it look like if they were in the boat, but they did have faith? What would they have done differently? That question really helped me get at the heart of what was going on in the passage, at least I think. Um, So good questions, looking for context. And, um, and the answer was there in the text because they said, don't you care that we're going to die? And I thought, whoa, and all of a sudden it opened up a new understanding for me that was right from the text. Uh, Let's talk about illustrations illustrations are really good illustrations stories those kinds of things they're very helpful but only if they're helpful i would say curb your illustrations a little bit make sure that your illustrations there because it serves the text it serves the text like i'm giving an illustration because once i explain this the text will make more sense the point the bible's making will be made stronger by my illustration that's that's what you want to use them for you also want relevant illustrations you know think of the age of your audience If your illustrations are all from, like, movies from the 70s and your audience is is, is younger people, then that's not going to help. If your illustrations are about, you know, pop stars of the last five years, ten years, and you have a wide audience of older and younger, it's it's not going to click. So think of those illustrations as, like, um, being relevant to the audience. If you have a group of five-year-olds, illustrations about candy, (laughs) you know, work better than illustrations about uh, work. And job responsibilities and things like that. Depends on your audience. Um, now, here's here's something you can do. After you've prepared your study and you're going through the text and you got all your notes ready, um, reread the text, again, without your notes. Without your notes. And your only question you're asking is this. You're saying, do the conclusions that I'm using, that I'm coming to, the things, my main points in my message, do they really come out of the text? This is like a last stopgap you know, protection from you abusing the Bible here, because you're just going to say, I'm just going to read it and be like, you know what, I have this whole, and I've done this, I have this whole section on, uh, on trusting God in trials, and as I'm reading the text again, now that I've studied it all in in detail, I realize it has really very little to do with this passage, okay, so I'm going to, I'm just going to set that aside, as much as I like it, as much as I think it's important, it's just not relevant to this passage, I'm not teaching the Bible anymore, I'm just teaching my thing. So you reread and you say, um, yeah, do my conclusions work? And ask yourself this question. As you reread the text and you think about what you're going to share, you can ask yourself this. Do I really understand this passage of the Bible or do I just understand what I want to do with it? This is a tough question to ask because if you only know what you want to do with it, but you don't really understand the passage, then that's going to really reveal that you need to sort of start over. And you need to ask, wait a minute, is this the purpose the Holy Spirit has for this passage in Scripture? Or have I just come up with my purposes? In which case, your, your teaching is going to lack power. It's going to lack the right authority. And it may actually, you may actually teach people to mishandle God's Word because that's perhaps what you're doing in front of them. Even if you're doing it with the best of intentions. People learn how to Bible study by the Bible studies that they sit in. And so you're teaching people to rightly handle the Word when you do it as well. Um... Now let's talk about commentaries a little bit. Um, I'll get into some free resources and some free commentaries you guys can get online in a little bit here, but um, but commentaries. Um, the one thing I'll recommend with commentaries is use multiple commentaries, multiple sources. Try, if possible, to have multiple sources for everything you say. Um, this isn't always gonna be the case. And sometimes it's it's details that are you're pretty, you know, I am pretty reliable that this detail I've learned is true and you don't worry about it too much, but... Um, but it's good to have multiple sources. And here's one of the reasons why. Um, there are a lot of sources, a lot of commentaries, I get a little slightly, no, I'm not in the flesh about it, but I get slightly bothered when I read commentaries that say, well, obviously it means, and obviously it's this and not that. When frequently you read the text, you read the passage and you go, there's nothing obvious about that conclusion. And this is just to highlight the fact that when you read only one commenta- commentary, commentary, or have only one Bible teacher in your life, you may be getting a skewed view because you've just got one source for everything. I recommend multiple commentaries. Um, I also, though, have to warn you, some of these guys are are heretical, that you get even free resources you won't get. They've got heresy. They're teaching weird things. They're just wrong about stuff. I remember even, even some guys that are respectable are just off on a topic. I might be off on a topic, right? Not that I know of, but what if I am? And it's unbeknownst to me, and I'm your only source. Well, you be safe with multiple sources. That's the idea. Um, so you have to be filtering. You have to be thoughtful about these resources. Always recognize, you know, you have the Bible here. You have commentaries here, and these are world apart. Uh, commentaries are interesting. They're not the authorities on the Bible. But multiple commentaries is great because you get guys with different gifts, guys with different insights, guys with different angles on things, and it can really open up stuff you just totally missed. Um, so it can be very good. I also recommend trying to focus in when you when you look at commentaries or in your Bible study, focus on getting context. And I don't just mean the context of the passage, but cultural context. Something that's really um, altered my understanding of of the scriptures is trying to understand the Jewish context of the New Testament. In particular, on um, the Old Testament, we sort of, it's a little easier to remember this is a Jewish context. The New Testament, we often read it thinking in the context of our local church, not realizing that it has this really strong Jewish context. And I don't want to, th- this is where I will, I will say the Hebrew roots movement is is solid right on, right? This is the area where they're like, dude, you gotta, you gotta have this sort of understanding that these are ancient Jews talking to each other in the first century. They're having a debate about marriage that ancient rabbis were having and Jesus is weighing in on it. You know, those kinds of things. You can actually get this though. By the way, I have Hebrew Roots videos and I don't support some of the stuff that I've seen in that movement. But the concept that I want to understand the Jewish foundations of my faith is huge. Huge. Um, I didn't say rabbinical foundations. I said Jewish foundations. uh, Old Testament Jewish foundations. Not rabbinical. Modern day rabbis is is a different issue. Um, So the way you can do this though, obviously commentaries will help, but The biggest help to me is just reading the text. When you read the New Testament and you recognize, oh, I'm reading a genealogy of the Messiah. It says Messiah. Look at the Old Testament teaching about the Messiah. When you just see it for your own eyes in the New Testament, how Jewish it is, it helps you understand a lot of things better. And so uh, try to find that. Try to see that. Try to be aware of that. Jewish Gentile issues throughout the book of Galatians, throughout the book of Acts, it will change your understanding of these books. Um, then when you finished your study, your prep, you've done all your homework, you've done all your, your questions and answers, and you've done your verse-by-verse verse study, and you've looked at commentaries after you've kind of tried to come to conclusions, then you look at them and you get help or correction or whatever. You think you're done, but you're not done, right? Your whole study's done. you printed it out. You're ready to, to walk up and teach it somewhere, but you're not really done. You're not really done. What do I mean? I mean, this is one of the coolest things I've learned over time. After you're finished, go back over your notes. And just delete unnecessary stuff. That's right. Just delete unnecessary stuff. Stuff that was interesting to you, but may not be a blessing or helpful to other people. Shorten things down. Get rid of some things. Um, this last walkthrough is gonna give you a bird's eye view of your message, and it's going to help you follow the flow of thought. And you can ask questions like, Is this flow of thought sensical? For someone who's attending, you know, imagine the person who's in your study. And you're thinking of that person and their thought process, right? They're not like you. They didn't spend this many hours in the text before they came. Can they follow with me? If if this is my order of notes, maybe I should take this whole idea and move it up here. Because if I explain that first, then the next part will make more sense or vice versa. And so you're going to go through, you're going to cut stuff out, get rid of redundant things, unnecessary stuff. Um, You'll notice missing elements because now you're just bird's eye viewing your whole message. That last look through is actually really important. And then you can ask, did I miss the heart? Have I missed the heart of this thing? Because sometimes you do and you go, oh, I got so you know, lost in the details. I missed the heart behind it all. Um, so I'm going to uh, suggest that you do a last look through whenever possible. Uh, I found that that almost always changes my message in positive ways when I do that. Next thing I'll say is this. Bible study is not fun. Um, not, not that it's never fun, but it's not in, an, in and of itself is not inherently fun laziness is a major issue for most Bible teachers, for most people who have work where they have to do sit down and study and study and study, and you find a, a path of a trail of knowledge you have to seek. It takes two hours more of your time. Um, you'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. That's all I can say is you will get used to it. It's rewarding. It's a blessing. You're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it because it's fun. There are times when it's fun. It's very rewarding long term, but sometimes you're just studying things. And it doesn't feel exciting at the time. And that shouldn't matter to you because it's not about you doing things that are constantly fun. Um, That's, that's called video games. And so, uh, so I want to encourage you. Yeah, there's, I I get the same way. I I feel like, okay, here we go. Another big topic, another whole bunch of work I'm going to get into. Um, And you just, you just, you know, put your big boy pants on and you do it. That's all you do. Um. Now, here's an interesting test you can offer after you've actually taught through a passage. You can ask yourself, you know, to see if you've done well. You can say, afterward, when somebody rereads this passage, do they remember your points from your study because your points drew from the passage? Or do they read the passage and they think to themselves, how on earth did they get what they got out of that passage? because this may reveal whether you were on target or not, whether it was actually biblical, your message or not. Um, they should be able to go back into the passage, know it better and see your points there because they're valid. They're valid. They're real. Um, yes. So prayer, prayer, prayer is huge because a lot of this stuff is a lot of mental stuff. A lot of, you know, engaging thoughtfully, considering, thinking, weighing and evaluating and planning and all this and being mindful of your audience. and. um, but don't forget prayer. Don't forget the necessity of just praying, just praying for the people, for the message, for your prep, for your understanding of passages and things. And um, this this is huge because Bible study is a living event that happens between you and God. It is it is um, going to be consistent, biblically solid. You're not going to get in prayer new revelations of things the Bible never said before, but you will, you will receive benefit because teaching is a spiritual gift in the Scripture. Um, Now let me talk about some other things. This is some more slightly more advanced stuff. There's a difference between knowing a thing and teaching a thing. When you study a passage to find out about it, this is where some people, and they're in their wheelhouse, right? They go, man, when I just study it to learn it, I feel like I know it real well. And then they sometimes get up in front of others to share it, and it always falls flat, and they wonder why. I know it well, but I don't know how to teach it well, and that's the distinction. Knowing a thing and teaching a thing are two completely different skill sets. One skill set is study, learning. The other skill set is teaching, expounding, walking other people through a thought process where they can track with you the whole time, where they're like, you didn't lose me, you didn't lose me yet. You're not boring me too much by just repeating yourself or you know beating a point to death. So imagine your audience, imagine your audience and ask, will they track with me during this study? Um, and Look at your audience. Like while you're teaching, this is the downside of doing online teaching, like I'm doing right now. But when I'm when I'm teaching, I'm actually looking at the audience, and I look at their faces, and I'm not it's not to be scared of them, like or intimidated by. It, but if they look at me and they're like, huh? and I see they're confused, I know I have to teach this more in more detail. I need an illustration now. I need to explain this better. Or if I look like no, nope, it's landing. They're totally getting it. Then I know I can move on. I don't have to keep beating that point to death. So yeah, think about these things. Eventually you get good at noticing, you know, in this topic, here's where I'm going to lose them. When I come to this point, this is where they're going to disconnect, where they won't understand. And so you, you work harder on crafting the, um, the, the, the way you will expound on this issue. Like I'm going to first this and this and this. No, 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 no. Make more sense if I say the other thing first. These are the kind of questions you have to ask as a teacher. Let me talk about two different kinds of studies now real quick. Uh, verse by verse and topical studies. I do both. I do them frequently now. Um, verse by verse studies; these are my favorite. They center on the passage of Scripture, whereas a topical study it centers around an idea. Right? Verse by verse centers around the passage, going verse by verse through the section. A topical study centers usually around one major idea. Okay, let's have a topic. We're gonna we're gonna talk about um, the gospel. We're gonna talk about. Um, overcoming sin. Uh, We're going to talk about having courage in trials or something. You know, this is a topical study. Uh, When I'm doing a topical study, I'm really wanting to pull different elements. You know, you can just come up with different topics, subtopics of a topical study, and then organize them with a flow of thought that makes sense. Um, Like, say you're talking about, you know, fear, dealing with fear. Okay, we have different kinds of fear okay like rational fear irrational fear talk about those maybe look at some biblical examples of those kinds of things we have what it what it promises has God given me that deal with fear that's a different section or subtopic of that study fear um we could say like what examples do we have of people being afraid who were in Christ in the New Testament and I could put those so I start gathering these things and I organize them into something thoughtful so there's your fear study um that's topical verse by verse is different verse by verse is going to just be working through a passage what's nice about verse by verse is you're not having to like kill yourself to try to come up with a new topic every week i love teaching verse by verse it is my preference and it is what i do on sunday nights at my church i just i'm i'm going to be in mark next week i'll pick up in the verse i left off on last week i still try to make it a section of you know this cohesive section Um, in verse by verse studies it won't always be three points I'll come back to that in just a second about how there's no cookie cutter Bible studies. Um, But with topical studies, you have to ask yourself before you do one, ask yourself this question. Do I really know enough about the Bible and this topic in order to teach this study? The answer might actually be no. You might not know enough. In which case, I recommend you stick to verse-by-verse teaching. A lot of places, they never do verse-by-verse teaching. A lot of pastors beat themselves up every week because they're just trying to figure out a new topic, a new series, a new, and uh, now I like doing topicals, I do. But if I had to do that every single week on Sunday mornings, um, I'd be moving to verse by verse. I'll just put it that way. I'd be moving to verse by verse. I see there's more benefit in it. Um, I think that of important topics, you're not gonna come up with a new one every week. You're gonna start repeating yourself. You're gonna start stretching topics out, making them really long unnecessarily. I think teach people the word. That's my personal opinion topics occasionally verse by verse is always good that's my own view uh, but yeah i have to ask yourself if you know enough to make it biblical now in these studies though especially verse by verse studies you will often find it will not fit this passage will not fit into a three-point sermon right you know some guys it's always the same you know i, I have to start with a joke or i start with part of a story i'll finish the story at the end and that'll keep them interested And these kinds of things i think these things are a little bit hokey to be honest um The application for some people is always the same. The end of the study is always the same. The study has a certain flow. It has an emotional flow. Personally, I gave up on all that a long time ago. I'm not interested in trying to fit into those kind of categories because I don't think the Bible passage I pick happens to always fit into those kinds of categories. So I say don't force an artificial format on a passage of scripture. Just teach the passage. Don't go for a special moment. Now what I'm telling you now is probably controversial. I'm saying don't go for a special moment. I thought when I first started teaching, I had to have, you know, a moment of conviction or a moment like a real deep heartfelt moment that I'm bringing people to during the study. I think that that need as a teacher, that need hurts you and potentially hurts your audience too and becomes artificial. Um, So, you know, if those things are there, great, go for it. But if it's not in the passage, why am I doing it? In fact, frequently a passage of scripture I don't see three points. I don't see one, only one point. I see a variety of different things. And so I just quit trying to have a certain number of points a long, long time ago. I teach verse by verse and I just give you the variety. And there you go. I'm not here to entertain. You know, I'm here to teach the word of God. Um, So that's my own opinion about that. Perhaps there's something I'm missing. Maybe I'm a little off base here that I would just say, just eject eject any sort of cookie-cutter stamp you're going to put your Bible study into. Instead, let the Bible give you the format because as you're tracking with the passage, it's right there. Find the format that's already in the text. Um, if, it's, if it'll the relevant application, well, sometimes the application is just believe this. That's Sometimes that's the application, you know, but you do want to have relevant application, but you don't want to fabricate it. So just let the scripture give it to you right there. Let me talk about what, what to do when you don't know. As a teacher, you will sometimes come across passages where you feel pressured to give a good answer and yet in your study and in your prep, you don't know the answer. Um, This is going to happen. It's gonna happen to you, it happens to me and I wanna give you like a strategy for how you can handle it. Um, Step one is do your homework, don't be lazy. Like do your homework. Did you actually really look for an answer or did you spend five minutes, couldn't find an answer and then you gave up? Like if it's laziness, you got more homework to do. But let's suppose that you've done your homework and you just really don't know the answer to this question. I say, here's a way of handling this during a study. Um, you teach options. You teach the options. You say, well, there's there's two, three, four different ways of looking at this idea or this passage or this verse or the, answering this question. And you share each of them and you share some of the pros and cons. And then you do something that I think teachers don't do enough. You say, I honestly don't know. I'm not sure what the right answer is. I think maybe I lean towards that one or I think maybe one of these two but I don't know for sure and so I just want to share with you what I have learned and then you move on because guess what it's not about you and you knowing everything and your audience doesn't disrespect you because you don't know something I mean if you think that's the case a lot of your teaching is going to be affected by your attempt to pretend that you know things you don't know I knew of a, a, a pastor a guy a friend of mine he became a pastor he was ordained as a pastor And he said right before his ordination, he goes, I'm trying to figure out what I think about all the doctrines, all of them. And, uh, and I was like, huh? And he says, because if you're a pastor, you, you have to have opinions about these things. And when you teach, and I'm not kidding. He said this, when you teach and you get up, if you're not sure about a passage, you just have to pick a direction and teach it with confidence because that's what you have to do as a pastor. And that was when I thought, I'm never doing that. (laughs) I'm never doing that. Isn't this obviously wrong? Is it about respecting my authority or respecting God's authority? If I don't know something, I have to not know it because that's not only is it honesty and integrity, but it's respecting the authority of scripture where I'm not going to try and presume upon God what something has to mean. Um, Similarly, I also recommend pastors don't require everybody in their church and all their leadership to agree with them on every passage that will really lower the stress in your environment if they don't have to agree with you on everything. Just essentials, of course, but not every single thing. That's just, I think, wisdom. So yeah, say, say I don't know. The old school way is to just be bold and confident. But my personal opinion is there's a boldness and confidence that exists in those who say, I really don't know. I've done my homework. Let me share with you some thoughts. And you guys can think it over too. There's there's something about that. I'm confident about God's word. I'm just not sure how to interpret this passage or how to answer one question. That's fine. That's fair. Let me bring up another issue that I think teachers will deal with um, and that is teaching beyond your experience. Um, teaching beyond your experience. But first we'll we uh, we'll go to the cat CAM just because, yeah, that's what we do. There she is. That's Moxie, by the way, if you all didn't know. I got Mika over here too. She's behind the printer back there, but you can't see her. So, teaching beyond your experience. uh, There's times where you're reading, say, um, the incredible call of God towards seeking first his kingdom, uh, evangelizing, uh, godliness and personal character, integrity, uh, the right way to do marriage, you know, these types of really high lofty Christian moral values. And you think to yourself, I don't think I exemplify these moral values. And you feel tension because you're getting up to teach things that you have not yet put into practice. Now, what do you do with that as a teacher? I say, don't act like you're the model. Don't act like you're the model. Don't pretend that you're doing all these things. Oh, I'm perfect in every way. Um, Also, don't joke about your failings. It's not just a joke that that you don't measure up here. But I will say this. You, you have to still teach the standard Scripture gives. It's not up to you. You don't get to lower the standard because you don't meet the standard and then create um, this sort of watered-down expectation for Christians because you're not meeting the standard. Your job, being underneath God's Holy Word, is to communicate the truth that it communicates. And if you feel you fall short, this is part of your sanctification. As you study this, learn it, put it into practice, apply it in your life, but don't pretend that you've got it all figured out and worked out when you don't. Um, I, I still, you know, when I teach on, I'll give you an example that's very personal. When I teach on prayer and the idea of praying in faith and for healing and I go, I still haven't got all this worked out. But I don't want to water down the, the, the idea in scripture that there can be this great confidence in Christians while we pray to God for healing, for something miraculous that we pray for in the name of Jesus, for his, for his glory. Yet I honestly um, don't have it all worked out in my life. And I don't think that I'm like the guy, the best guy to pray for everybody. And why is that? Because I'm a human on a on a pattern of growth just like anybody else. There's things I'm still learning and growing and I've failings. But I won't let those things water down my actual teaching on something. That's the point. Don't change the teaching to fit your level of Christianity. So that's when you're teaching beyond your experience. Um, I'll also say this. Uh, teaching is a learning experience. Um, and we forget this. Uh, we forget the teaching itself is a learning experience. And here's, here's where we get cut off. I used to do this, man. I was so bad about this. I would teach a Bible study and I would think to myself when it was over, either A, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit and God used it and I felt so good. Or B, I blew it and epically failed and I felt so terrible. And it was like, these were the only two options in my head. Like either I just excelled or I just was horrific over time, a long period of time, I learned to handle things differently. And so now, my perspective is the following. I'm teaching God's word. It's good. But I can always learn and grow. Perhaps I went on too long. Still do that, as you know. <laughs> Perhaps I um, shared some too many unnecessary things as I was teaching. I may well have done that. But I can learn from elements of failure in my teaching without thinking I'm a failure as a teacher. This opens you up to all kinds of good stuff. I think it's a really good thing when you can grow from your failings as a teacher without thinking you're a failure as a teacher. Um, Teaching is a learning experience. Don't, Don't think either you're perfect or you're terrible or you'll learn nothing. You need to be able to evaluate, look back and say, I can grow from that. I can learn from that. This will really help you as a teacher. Um, let's see. Oh, I want to talk about maximizing your gift. What time is it? I had no idea how long this would take. So, um, yeah, there's still several things I want to share with you. So I'm just going to put it all out there because for those who are teachers, I know for those who are looking at video for entertainment, they're going to be bored out of their mind with this video. But for those of you that are Bible teachers, there's going to be some stuff in here that might really help you. Maybe some stuff you already know really well. So I'm going to go ahead and go on and make it a little longer. Um, I want to talk about um, Greek and Hebrew. Uh, Greek and Hebrew. uh, If you know, if you've never been in a Greek class, um, then you're probably the most susceptible to trickery when it comes to Greek and Hebrew. Um, And I would recommend that you try to avoid using much Greek and Hebrew. If you've never actually experienced like a Greek class, like sitting in on at least a year of Greek um, that helped me a lot in just really what I learned in my, in my, you know, my first year of Greek was just how abused it is often by a lot of people and to spot it in a commentary or, or in a teaching and be like, yeah, that's not quite right. For instance, for example, I've often heard dunamis means dynamite. Dunamis means dynamite. Okay. But when you actually look it up in legit resources, it doesn't mean dynamite. It just means ability. It, I mean, the, the core meaning of the word is just ability. You could call it power, but not power like superpower, it's like just ability um so you have though this Greek resource right here, strong's strong's is the classic go to Greek resource, and I hate to say this for those who don't really know Greek, okay, this is the classic resource, and it was mine for many years. I want you to know that Strong's is actually a really bare bones resource. It's great for finding out what the Greek word is, finding out how it's translated in particular in the King James version. Strong's will tell you how many times it was translated different ways in that version. Um, but if you wanna really go with Greek resources, you're gonna need a lot more resources, like, um, like BDAG or uh, td or uh, you just need to find some better Greek resources. I'll show you some in a minute when I get into Logos Bible software, when I show you my software. Um, there are some, some good Greek resources. So I just say this. Um, almost all the time, when you look up a Greek word or Hebrew, you're going to walk away and say, yeah, the translation was right. Like this is this is real nice. It's just nice that they, we have good translations. Yeah, the translation was right. And so if you just look up multiple translations, multiple reliable translations, you're going to get probably more than if you don't know anything about Greek and you're trying to read like Strong's or something like that. So that, that'd be my recommendation there. Now, if you want to go deeper, I'll show you how to go deeper a little bit later in this, in this video. Um, I want to talk about maximizing your gift. Maximizing your gift. Now, this is something that's like next level teaching stuff, but I hope it's fruitful for you. Uh, we have different gifts. Some of us are better at um, encouragement. Some of us are better at discipleship. Some of us are better at conviction like we just that's just the thing we do and we do it well we do it like with the help of the holy spirit others are just really good at just lifting people up and getting them through hard times others are just really good at analytically explaining things and my question is do you know what you're good at maximize that in your teaching if you're not good at the encouragement stuff then don't try and be that guy and maybe you've sat under a teacher you respect who's like that and you're just no good at it don't try and be that guy be who you are with your gifts the way they are maximize them i am an, an analytical explainer like that's just the way i'm wired i it's what i'm good at and when i let myself do that it, it's it, it goes well you know what i'm not good at telling stories like i quit years ago trying to come up with really good stories to tell i use stories as short little brief illustrations i rarely get into a long story why because i'm just not good at stories okay that's well also because i want to stay on the text but I'm just no good at stories. I have a buddy who's a great storyteller. He's a really good storyteller and he should use that in his teaching, not overshadowing scripture at all, but there's a, there's a wonderful uh, gift and skill he has that's good. Um, yeah, whatever you're good at, focus on that, but also work on your weakness. If you realize that you tend to be bad at this encouraging thing, then you have to remind yourself to Im- incorporate some of that in your teaching or else you're failing. So highlight your strength, but also bolster up your weaknesses a little bit. Think about what your gifts are. That's really important. Uh, Now I want to talk about pride. Pride, 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 pride. Um, Teaching and pride. Well, humans are proud, okay? Just about every human, scratch that, every human has a pride issue, Um, pretty much. I I, I don't know of anybody who doesn't have a pride issue, except for myself, of course, (laughs) obviously, obviously. Um, No, but pride is going to enter your teaching ministry big time, and you are put up on a pedestal. Like, there are many of you out there, you, you respect me far more than I really think I deserve. And you look up to me more than I deserve because of the, this ministry, um, because of maybe just because of how many subs I have on, online or something like that. I, I think um, this, is, this is such an easy place for pride to come in and take over and make it all about me. And I've seen pastors who are all about themselves and teaching itself is like a giant doorway into testing your pride to see how arrogant you may actually be. So ask yourself as a teacher, are you aware of your pride? Not if you have it. You do have it. Are you aware of it? Because if you're not aware of it, then it's out of control. But if you're aware of it, then you can actually work on this thing and you can try to filter and you can try to deal with these issues as they come up. Um, make sure that your teaching's for God and for others and it's not for you. It's not for you because it's not about you as a teacher and there's, there's easy ways to test and see if you think it's about you. I'll tell you a story, short story, which I'm not very good at. There was a pastor I heard one time sharing his testimony, and he was talking about being hurt by his church. He was talking about being hurt by his church. He was talking with a group of other guys that were leaders, they were all church leaders, and so he was trying to maybe help them. But here's his story. He says, I went away on vacation, and I had my youth pastor teach for me. So his youth pastor goes into the pulpit and teaches. And he says when he got back, this woman came up, and all she did was tell him how great it was when this youth pastor came and taught. Oh, I was so blessed when he taught. Oh, it was so great. I was just so encouraged. You should have him teach more often. And the pastor tells us, and I turned to her and I said, well, what about me? What am I, chopped liver? That was pride. That was all about him and all about his pride. He was thinking, I'm hurt that this other guy is being given accolades I teach all the time and this woman's never coming to me with such incredible gratitude and and, and joy. What about me? And I just want to say, man, what about you? What's wrong with you? Because that's pride. The minute that instead of being joyous about somebody else's skills and abilities to even out-teach me, instead of joy, I have jealousy, I have competition, I have um, pain in my heart because of that, that is pride. It's all pride. It's all about me and it's not about the Lord. So we can mask this with the pulpit. We can be like, well, it's it's the, I'm protecting the pulpit. The pulpit is being protected when we're really protecting our pride. And some guys know, you know what I mean. I don't even need to explain it more. Some guys do this. Um, so when someone's better than you, does it bother you? When they teach better than you, when they, when they get a better reaction from the audience than you, do, does it bother you? Uh, that's pride. Something's wrong with you. Uh, sorry, same's true for me. Okay, it's just reality when somebody disagrees with you. Here's a pride check When somebody disagrees with you and your teaching, how do you feel about that? Is it even allowed in your environment in your study if they go "I, I take exception I you know, you said this I was thinking it meant this Does it just do you just go? Oh, well show me what you mean. Let's look at the passage again I'm, not talking about them abandoning christ and preaching error I just mean they disagree with your interpretation of a passage. Is that even allowed? I actually encourage it in my Sunday night study. I'm like, if you disagree, please share it because I realize how awkward it is for someone to come up to a teacher and say, I think you got this wrong. So I encourage people to do it in that study. Um, We have Q&A every week after the message part. So yeah, I I would say, um, can people disagree with you? Can they? And if they do, how do you respond? That totally reveals pride. Um, This gives you some perspective and I want to give you some more perspective. This will hit us. This should hit you hard, especially if you're a veteran teacher. You already know this. But if you're a younger teacher, it might not even make sense. Here's the truth, though. Most veteran teachers, most who have taught for a number of years, they regret past teachings. Let this sink in. Most of them think, boy, 15 years ago, uh, I'm glad those studies aren't on tape. Most of them feel that way. That's kind of a big deal. Because you know what? we sometimes overstep our own knowledge because we feel like we have to teach with boldness that we go beyond the text we have our own assumptions we're borrowing content from people we've never vetted the content we've never really checked it against scripture and we teach it, teach it, teach it years go down the road and we look and we go ooh, I would tweak this I would change this I would add some humility over here I would, I would not demonize that other group over here and we look back and we say hey, yeah now if, if we can look back you know, veteran teachers can look back and say that then I would say to new teachers Teach in a way now that you won't be you won't be embarrassed about later. <laughs> Teach with some humility. You're not humble about the truth of the word of God, right? It is the truth. You're humble about your own abilities, your own evaluations, and your own how extensive your own knowledge is. That sort of thing. Um, yeah. Give you some, give yourselves some perspective there. In fact, if you're teaching something and you think, I think I'm the first one to ever see this in this passage, chances are you made it up. Um, you haven't realized how hard and how well the word of God has been studied by men by men of God throughout the years. And there's plenty of resources out there. If you can't find your view in any any existing Christian literature, then it's probably a made-up view. That's a good rule of thumb. I take it as a red flag if I think, am I the only one that's ever thought this? I might have made it up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's actually kind of a bad thing. You you want to just teach old stuff, not new stuff, so to speak. Um I also want to encourage you, because of this thing right here, because of cell phones. Your audience, teacher, your audience will fact check you in real time. This is like going to happen. So you better fact check yourself because you will gain or lose credibility based on what they find when they go, really? And they Google whatever you just said. And if they can look it up and confirm that you did your homework, you're going to gain a lot of credibility. And I count on this, you know, and if they look it up and find out that you made stuff up, you're going to lose credibility. Um, Now, obviously, there's good fact checking and bad fact checking and you can't control what site people trust but you did your homework is the point Um, let's see a couple things and then we're gonna go to your guys questions Um, I say fact check yes do that Um, uh, question to ask real quick before I go to the software and talk about free software that you can use um, as well as one page software that I use Um, how strong is your stance on non-essential issues this is a really good question to ask as a teacher how strong is your stance On non-essential issues because your congregation or the people listening to you will echo that stance as well. I think it's very wise to soften your stance on non-essential issues and to strengthen your stance on essential issues. Gospel issues, the authority of the Word of God, these types of things I'm going to have a really strong stance on. Um, Other issues, especially things like eschatology and my, my thoughts on what end times look like I say, teach it, but maybe soften up a bit so you can still have fellowship with the other people in the body of Christ that aren't necessarily in agreement. And when you model that in your teaching, your people can model it in their interactions and it increases unity in the body of Christ. So think about majors and minors, right? Major in the major, minor in the minors. Let your teaching reflect that. That'd be my encouragement. Now let's look at a couple um, softwares. Um, Let's see, I'm gonna bring it up here. The first one I want to share with you is actually uh, BlueLetterBible.org because this is a fantastic software. Let me go to that monitor. There you go. Okay, BlueLetterBible.org free software. You can use this online, and maybe you've used it before, but didn't realize how many resources it actually has. This is totally free. But let's say I'm, I'm studying in uh, Matthew one one. You know, so I could type it in the search bar right here. You should see it on your screen right now. And I go ahead and click search. And uh, it has King James Version selected. I could change this. I could do, say, ESV. You have several different versions available. Um, uh, Did that work? Yeah, okay. Now, you might look at this and think, oh, this is kind of bare bones. It's just the verses themselves. But you see this little button that says tools? Look at all these tools. Interlinear, Bible, cross-references, commentaries, dictionaries, miscellaneous. Um, So if I go to say interlinear, well, now here I've got some Greek resources. That's the Strong's number for those who are familiar with it. I've got, you know, Genesis. I could actually click and go to the Strong's thing and I can get not only Strong's, but there's, oh, Vine's expository dictionary. So there's actually some Greek resources here um, and some more details about different, different usages. I think that this stuff is, um, is, is fruitful to be able to dig into. You can actually do some Greek studies here on BlueLetterBible.org. That's kind of something I find a little surprising because it's a free resource. Let's see, there is, however, one of the things you're going to really love is the commentaries. This is what I like about Blue Letter Bible, and I'm going to click commentaries now. Look at all these commentaries, and they're selected for Matthew 1.1. Here's uh, Chuck Smith, John Corson, Chuck Missler, uh, McGee, Bob Davis, David Hawking, um, Damian Kyle, Raul Rees. Look at all these different resources. There's tons, and there's audio messages by various guys, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur, Paul Washer. Um, so even a variety of guys. There have Calvary Chapel guys, there have Calvinist guys in there. Um, here's study tools that you can look at. All I'm saying is, look at that. That was free. I wish this existed when I was like first studying the Bible. My free resources was, I remember I found a copy of, a digital copy of uh, Martin Luther's commentary of Galatians unabridged. And that was like the only commentary I had on the book of Galatians at the time. I had no money and I, I had internet access. So that was all I could find. Well, now there's like so much great stuff, you know. So Blue Letter Bible is really actually good. There's also dictionaries. Cross references are very helpful um, as you're just looking for other passages in the scripture that might be related to the one you're studying. I think it's really good. So blueletterbible.org, check it out. Check out the different content that they have in there. Another one I want to show you though is netbible.org, also free. I really like Net Bible and here's the reason why netbible.org, first it it has their own translation, the NET, New English Translation, um, which is a good translation, it's considered, you know, respected and respectable, Um, but they have other translations as well, as you can see, there's about seven of them available here, but what I really like about Netbible is the notes, they have textual notes, that's the T in there, they have study notes, and then they have text critical notes, these are different kinds of notes, so If you study these things, this is the stuff commentaries often don't talk about, but you are asking questions about as you're studying. Sometimes I'll find great resources on netbible.org that are ignored by other commentaries. Um, Cool stuff about, you know, Greek and textual things, all that kind of stuff. So you can find it. You can find it for the passage you're looking at, Matthew, whatever it is. You just use the search feature. They've also got other stuff um, in their library. They have various articles that are available. I'm not vouching for the accuracy and legitimacy of these articles, but they're there and you have to vet everything thoughtfully. Finally, there's Logos Bible Software. Now, those are two free ones. This is a paid one. Logos Bible Software, this is what I use when I do my Bible studies um, primarily. This is like my number one tool. And I've been using it for like since 2006, I think it was, a long time. Now, I've got links to all three of these in the in the video description as well as on the linked comment, the first comment. The reason why um, I, uh, I recommend Logos is because of how much it's helped me over the years um this does cost money in fact logos is expensive i have like the platinum package which I mean, when i originally bought it, it was like four hundred dollars 13 years ago 60 percent off because of the school i was going to the school ministry and they, they just wanted to help us out and they did and that was a big chunk of money at the time now it's much much more expensive and it's honestly worth it it's honestly worth it they actually have a variety of packages i would recommend Um, I have the basic, or the standard platinum package. There's one that's like, um, they have one that's like the Baptist package or the Reform package. I think I might, if I was to start over today, I might pick the Baptist package. I'm not Baptist. I'm just trying to think of what resources I think would come with it. I might be more interested in that than the standard package if I had to start over. At any rate, here's what I do. Let's say I go to Matthew 1.1. Matthew 1.1. And you can open up the passage study layout. This is what it looks like. It's still processing. This is something I was studying earlier. Um, now, it loads tons of resources, as you can see on your screen. It, I know the font's small. I'll, I'll enlarge some of them here. What you see on this side is just tons of commentaries. This is what I love about lo, uh, Logos. I know it's pronounced Logos. That's how I would pronounce it with Greek, but it's just common pronunciations, Logos, for this stuff. So these are all commentaries specifically on Matthew 1 1. Uh, some great ones, the IVP Bible background commentaries, really interesting content that's in there. Um, also, the uh, the New International Greek, New Te- uh, Greek Testament commentary. That's also a really interesting one. Um, anyway, there's, there's various different ones. I know, you know, France's commentary, also uh, Matthew, yeah, that one, an introductory commentary. That's the one I was thinking of. That's a really neat one as well. These are great commentaries and they're all accessible um, at the click of a button. This is what I love about software. If I go to one of these, and this is a commentary down here, this whole section down here, this is all commentary. And it's set to Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Well, if I go to a new passage like Matthew 1, five, it brings the commentary to that passage with me. I've saved hours and hours because I'm not flipping pages. It's just bringing me right to the place I like. This is really helpful for me personally. So I, I love these kind of things. There's something else though I like about uh, logos that I don't see on other resources. And that's the exegetical guide. So I'm going to open the exegetical guide and just show it to you. I'll enlarge it slightly for you. The exegetical guide is going to give me here's Matthew one one. Here it is in Greek. So Beblas Geneseos, you know, Iesu. Uh, so that's the book of the genealogy of Jesus, right? Christu Christ. So you've got the actual Greek there. But here's what's great. Let's say you want to study the word genealogy. Well, you click it, and now I've got these are all my Greek resources on just that one word, right? The lexical form is genesis. Here's BDAG, like I mentioned before, a very respectable resource. Here's the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, which is going to give you, oh my, it's going to have articles with tons of content, more content than you want on the word. This is way beyond, say, Strong's or something like that. This Greek study stuff, this is stuff I don't see matched elsewhere. This is one thing I love about Lagos or Logos. Um, you can also add to your library. I rarely do. I usually just use the stock stuff that comes with the package I got. So there's there's logos. Um, I do have a link in the description. This is an affiliate link. What it means is, and I know you're you're trying to sell me. Actually, by by doing an affiliate link, I get you a 10% discount. Uh, and if you get the lowest package, you get five free books. Um, so there's free stuff. Oh, I should show you. There's, there we go. Logos has a free package that they give you, but I think if you're going to go with free, I don't recommend Logos. I recommend you just get go to Blue Letter Bible. It's got more on Blue Letter Bible than the Logos base package, the free one. Um, if you have money to invest, I think Logos is is really worth the finances. If you don't have the money, use like Blue Letter Bible and look for more free resources online. But yeah, I do I do happen to really like this uh, the usefulness of the software, and I would say guard yourself against realizing that. Um, there's commentaries and resources, even in Bible software, even in logos, logos that are, uh, sometimes really messed up and sometimes really great. And it's a total mixed bag. And you have to just learn how to filter these things and process these things. And if you feel like that's, you're not up to the task, then, you know, you might want to stick with, uh, say blue letter Bible. I think they have a lot more of a, of a safer (laughs) set of resources, um, yeah because that's just a reality of it Uh, this stuff is um, you're reading commentaries and sometimes they say things and I'm like that's not even true but I but I only know that because I've done extensive research on this you know I wouldn't have known it I would just read the commentary and been like wow little did I know the guy that wrote it wasn't even a Christian (laughs) but it's still in the software that's just how it is for some reason Um, okay well those are pretty much everything I had to share with you guys I hope that stuff's fruitful um I've got links in the description for all three of those softwares that I showed you. And what I want to do right now is go to your questions. I've already got a ton of them. So I am, um, let's see, I'm looking just for the questions. I have to pull them up on my phone. Okay, here we go. Lots of questions. I'll try to move quick. Uh, Mind Onion says, are the earliest Greek versions of the New Testament text preferable or later majority Greek text preferable and why? Uh, the, okay, I'm just going to defer to the Greek scholars on this that the the, um, the sh- simple over, overly simple answer is that the earliest ones tend to be considered with more weight than the later ones. Um, we have more usually it's end up being quantity over age it's like do we go with what we have more manuscripts or do we go with what we have earlier manuscripts but textual criticism is way more advanced than this they don't just ask that one question and then pick a manuscript they go way deeper into this they ask a lot of questions about what reading explains the other readings you know if it originally said this that would explain the two variants we have over here well then that probably is the original reading like things like that that they ask about that are more than just the age of the manuscript so I would just say um, there's a whole lot of things going on uh, in their evaluation of these things um, kick it like Johnny says uh, when will Mike do a video about the mark of the beast and the seal of God um, I have no idea I don't have it on my radar right now so um, yeah I'm not sure sorry um, you say the SDA church believes um, the mark of the beast is Sunday worship and I, I you know I'm, it's been so long since I've looked into the SDA church I won't comment on them but to believe that the Mark of the Beast is Sunday worship doesn't seem justified by any reading of the text, in my opinion. Um, I think you have to read it into the text. Uh, let's see. Samuel says, uh, Jaboyne says, Advice on growing my YouTube ministry and preaching ministry in general. Oh, dude, patient faithfulness. Um, so you keep doing it for years. Be faithful. Don't do it to grow it. Um, I, these, I mean, may not be the exciting, exciting information here, but yeah keep producing content that is really going to bring benefit into people's lives for youtube that's the thing you know you guys are watching this video because you think you'll have real benefit you're not watching because you've been wooed by my blue lights in the background or something <laughs> this is because you actually you you think there's something valuable in this for you and if if people get that online then then that will help you grow it takes a long time and the early growth is the slowest and um, yeah my early growth was absolutely the slowest i, I gave any more, growth now in, a, in one month than I did in my entire first two years yeah. of online stuff. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Jesus Garcia, or hey, probably Jesus Garcia says, what's your opinion on street epistemology? Is it a one-trick pony? Um, well, it's, it's like a one-trick pony. Street epistemology, for those who don't know, is uh, an atheistic, I mean, it's atheistic, uh, a way of approaching people um, where you don't have to know anything about apologetics, you can just sort of ask people questions, and keep asking them questions, and find s- subjects they're weak on in order to try to make them feel like they should doubt their faith in Christ. Like that's the bottom line. And so yeah, it's a one-trick pony. It's mostly, I think, it's based on more psychological manipulation than it is an intellectual, thoughtful approach. Um, but I have videos on street epistemology. I encourage you to check those out. I have them online. Um, yeah, going specifically on that topic. Let's see. First last says, does Job 42.8 and John 20.23 mean that Christians can pray for others and their sins will be forgiven? I don't see that elsewhere. Uh, Let me just, um, I can't actually bring up Logos because the way I was doing it, well, I can bring up the whole thing. Let's look at, let's look at the passage here. Wait, no, no, not even close. Where am I going? (laughs) Cat cam. (laughs) All right. So let's bring up this passage right here, shall we? Um... Job 42.8 It says, Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly for you have not spoken of me what is right and my servant Job has. Um, okay, so those were three of the friends of Job that were were rebuked by the father. Let's see. Um I don't Okay, the question was now John twenty, mixing that with John 20, 23, does that mean that Christians can pray for others and their sins will be forgiven? Um, okay. Okay, for if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven if you will. Okay, if you withhold the sin, the forgiveness from any is withheld. Actually, I, I don't think they're related at all. I think these are two unrelated passages. I think Joe gives us a picture of um Perhaps it's a picture of Jesus Christ, um, but there's also an element of God's just vindicating Job. He's saying, "See, you guys were wrong about Job. You were wrong about me," and so he's making them go to Job, in order, as part of that act of forgiveness. And we should, you know, repent to the people we've we've sinned against, not just the Lord. So there's an, there's you know there's something we can learn from in that. But I don't think it has to do with giving power to forgive sins to individuals, so to speak, as like a general rule of thumb. That's not the point. Uh, The passage in John that you see on your screen, it's maybe a little bit small, but hopefully legible to you. This idea right here, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold it, it's withheld. This is specifically to the apostles. They were going to go out and preach the gospel. And when they told people, you accept Jesus, you're forgiven. You don't, you reject Jesus, you're not forgiven. They had authority to say that. So when they give us the gospel in the New Testament, Jesus is the only way. They have authority to proclaim these things, and they're true. It doesn't mean you can just arbitrarily decide who's forgiven and who's not. So that would be, I think, a contextual understanding of it. Uh, Matt Herrera says, Mike, what are some good methods for or context to work through for a young adult college-age Bible study? Thanks for your ministry. Content, um, young adults, man, I think 1 Corinthians... <laughs> I think 1 Corinthians is fantastic for young adults. It's going to talk about marriage. It's going to talk about singleness. It's going to talk about sanctification. It's going to talk about unity in the body of Christ. Um, It's going to deal with our calling as believers. I think 1 Corinthians would be just the first book that comes to mind to move through with them. Um, Let's see. Methods for doing it. I think with young adults or if you have a small group, trying to engage them in study, teaching, and then giving them an opportunity to actually engage. Like when I teach on Sunday nights, we actually have probably... Anywhere from 20 minutes to 35, 40 minutes of interaction after the Bible study, where we're just talking things out. And I find that time really fruitful and edifying. I would do it online, but it doesn't really quite work the same as it does in a small group. Um, Carol Seep says, Can you give your understanding of Isaiah's authorship? Um, if it's one writer or several, and if several, how does that affect its use as a fulfillment of prophecy? Um... My understanding is it's one writer. I I think Isaiah is one writer. I I haven't heard good, compelling arguments that it's more than one. Um, The ESV Study Bible, interestingly, has a really great article on this topic in their uh, study Bible in the book of Isaiah that I would recommend you check out for like a short synopsis of two sides of the argument and why you would lean towards one author. And what effect does it have? Well, you could have multiple authors without having no effect on the prophecy stuff. Um, You could have multiple authors where it starts to get questionable. Well, because was this author like way after that event happened but then you start to wonder why they want multiple authors is it because they just think prophecy doesn't happen and in some cases that is exactly what they've got uh, anyhow east side delhi says uh, by the way that just sounds so good right now i want to eat at east side delhi <laughs> sounds really good uh, how do we know the bible means what it says when we see seeming contradictions like John one eighteen versus Exodus 24, 10 through eleven. This is an interesting question because um, sometimes you get questions and and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not sure how to take this. It almost sounds like like a, a baited a bait question to be honest. But let's let's bite let's take the bait and let's go look at these passages. John one eighteen. Oh, I already know. No one has ever seen God. Okay, I have a whole video where I deal with this topic of contradictions in the Bible and I deal with this passage in detail. Um, the short answer. Um, oh, let me, sorry, let me take you to the um, Exodus passage. 24, 10. You know, and they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet, that describes him. So they they saw him. Well, they saw him, but he was still obstructed. If you read the whole passage in context, they saw him, but he was obstructed. There wasn't a full vision or full revelation of God. But but a real short answer is just this, is, um, East Side Delhi, I want you to know, while I really want to eat your food, I also want you to know that The authors of Scripture aren't ignorant of these things. When you read John, for instance, he has mastery of the Old Testament, and he's well aware of all these passages. And um, when you have sort of really obvious, blatant contradictions in the Bible, what you often have is just a sort of two-dimensional reading of the text that's not allowing us to sort of read it like these guys know what they're talking about, you know? um, and so, like, when people say Genesis 1 and 2 are just utterly in contradiction, it's kind of like, these are the same author, like, it's not like the guy's a dummy, you need to look a little deeper, and be more thoughtful about this, that would be my, my recommendation, now, I have a more detailed answer, where I go through lots of scriptures, um, in one of my videos on uh, contradictions in the Bible, I don't remember which one it was, I have three videos on the topic, I can't remember which one it's in, but if you search, you know, um, like has anyone seen God and Mike Winger it might pop up for you uh, Peanut Warrior has a question says can you share some verses or passages about depression or loneliness or sadness please I've been having a hard time as of late thank you for your ministry pastor keep it up Um, oh the, like the Psalms Um, how about you know 1st John you know what about where the scripture says like though my heart though my heart may fail let me, let me find this this passage for you because it'd be one I'd love to share with, with you and anybody else who maybe needs to hear it in psalm 73 and man i love psalm 73 um in fact can i tell you i've got a whole um teaching through psalm 73 online and i think it might encourage you i think it's just called dealing with doubt actually the name of the study but um let me bring this up for you to see i'll make it bigger there it is oh i clicked the wrong one again just a moment there it is um This is what he says in Psalm 73. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. This is this is him. Now you have to read the whole psalm to get it, but he's saying, I was like broken, I was mentally anguished. I felt like like none of it makes sense. I don't understand this God. I don't understand where are you? Where's your promises here? He's going through all this stuff. And he he realizes later on, he after he enters into God's presence, he's like, Oh, but I was being foolish and I was being ignorant. Now I see how foolish that was. But at the time, it just made sense. All my doubt and fear and anguish and bitterness and sorrow and all made sense at the time. That's why he now says, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Oh, there's just, in Psalm 73, he gets this place of comfort. God, I'm just going to trust in you. I'm going to live this life for Christ, knowing that you're with me. And knowing that you're receiving me to glory. And that changes my heart and its attitude towards what's going on. Then in verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. He's got his right perspective now. God is the center of it all. My flesh and my heart fail. And this is what I wanted to highlight your flesh and your heart, they fail. You feel it? You feel your flesh, my own physical body failing? Do you feel your heart, your internal sort of like courage? your sense of peace, your your sense of clarity on life, you feel that failing. Well, that's what he's talking about. He says, "Yeah, those things fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." And that is I think a fantastic scripture to share with you. There's a lot more. I actually have in my first Peter's teaching. I go verse by verse through the whole book of first Peter. We deal a lot with grief. We deal a lot in that in that book with sorrow and hardship, and I recommend you go to the go to the YouTube channel or my Bible Thinker app. You can get it on your smartphone. And go to the First Peter playlist and find some of the messages in there that deal with that stuff in more detail. But uh, God bless you. Hang on, hang in there. Don't get lost in the moment. Remember that this is a moment. This is a season. And the Lord is, is with you. He's going to carry you into glory for all eternity. Um, and we, we pray that God would, uh, would would bless you and help you and encourage you. Peanut warrior. <laughs> um, Devin Nicely has a question. Says, Can you look into the YouTuber service Christy? He attacks many respected Christian leaders and creates division in the body of Christ. He has a sizable following. He does this in Jesus' name. I've watched a few of his videos, to be honest, and I, I do not respect the things he does. Um, and you guys know me. Look, I'm willing to call things out and, and call it like I see it, and even even name names and stuff like that. I I don't, I don't. think he's sincere. I'm not questioning his sincerity. I don't think that what he's doing is biblically sound, and I, I don't think that what he's doing is is spirit-led, that's for sure. And I think that um, it's the wrong kind of discernment ministry. I'm so sorry to say that. And I hate to say it publicly, but I've heard him publicly rip on everybody and their grandma. And I don't know why he hasn't done it to me yet. Maybe he will. Um, and maybe he, Or maybe he respects me. And I can just say, hey, sir, I, I love you. I care about you as a brother. But what you're doing um, has, has real flaws in it. And I wonder if you have any accountability in your life of godly men who might look at your content and give you some real feedback, honest feedback on it, or if you're just kind of on your own here um anyway so I don't recommend listening to his content uh, as much as I don't I don't hate him for it but I don't respect the content uh, Ryan leach says when studying and you're ready for commentaries which commentaries or publishing houses do you like to use well like I just look for like a bunch um, but I mentioned a couple earlier so hopefully those will help um, Craig Keener's uh, Bible background series uh, the IVP, it's an IVP commentary by Craig Keener that, that I think has been really neat because it doesn't actually interpret the passage much. It just says like, oh, ancient Jews did this or we found this text that says this and it gives you like sort of historical background you wouldn't find by just reading the passage. That's a really fun one to read. Um, but yeah, I've given a couple couple examples there. Josie J says, what characteristics or approaches do you uh, do your favorite Bible teachers have? Oh, um, I verse by verse, man, that's my favorite. When they when they when they methodically plod through the text and just bring out the meaning that's naturally there, that just gets me excited. Okay. That's my favorite thing right there. Um and when they do it in a way that 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 people can get, people can pick up and learn from. Um honest conversation says, I hear a lot of teachers say pure expository preaching is the best. I agree, but I don't see a lot of pastors doing it. Uh what think you of John MacArthur he seems to do it right. Um uh, let me think, um, now I, I mean, I honestly, you guys, I really don't evaluate teachers as carefully as you might think I do, um, maybe I try not to, and I just try to like listen and learn what I, from what I can, and I'm not trying to like make a judgment call on everybody, but um, is John MacArthur doing it right? I've, I listen to John MacArthur's stuff, I appreciate it, I love how he plods, he does plod through a text, he, his topical stuff, um, I also enjoy, but i Find that there's a there, whenever even on those topical things. I often think like, oh, I wish he'd gone to this passage, or I wish he'd talked about this section, or something like that. I don't know, just my thoughts off the top of my head, for what it's worth. Um, Michael Adner says, "I have a Scofield Bible. What do you think about this translation?" Um, I think. Wait, is that a translation or the, the Scofield Reference Bible that has like cross references and commentary? I think the cross references and commentary is a secondary issue. Don't let it be your only source. It'd be my only encouragement. Um, but is, is it the Schofield translation? I don't even know about that in detail. So I couldn't answer. Sorry. Uh, Jackie Bledsoe says, I have a complete Jewish study Bible. I'm relearning Hebrew words. I'd forgotten. What do you think about this Bible? I haven't really looked into it. Uh, the complete Jewish study Bible. So I'm so sorry. I, I don't have something to add for you there. Um, but you might look up some comments, some reviews of it online and just see, you know, read a couple of reviews and try to gather some data. Um, we have someone from the Ukraine or Russia whose name I can't pronounce um, which says uh, do you think systematic theology books are useful how useful they are and which you can recommend I, I'm not going to make a recommendation for any uh, to be honest and partially because I don't want to put myself behind one of them right now um, don't know one of them well enough to say I want to do that but uh, I do think they're useful I think they're great resources to have and so I do suggest having you know systematic theology books yeah good stuff um, Mariana Rogers. Sorry, I'm not answering that question better. I just don't have a better answer for you. Mariana Rogers says, Mike, can you talk about word studies and how important they are and how you go about choosing them and what best helps you doing word studies? Well, the best thing that helps me is those Greek resources I showed you on, on Logos. Logos. Um, I will look up multiple Greek resources. That That helps me a lot with my word studies. I will also, using the same software you can, I didn't show you this, but you can actually find every Greek occurrence of a word um, you can probably do this on on one of the other free resources too, um, and then you can look at the way it's used throughout the different texts. I would just say, um, don't go in assuming you're going to get some great nugget of truth. Often you're just finding out it means what you thought it meant, and that's good. That's good news, by the way. If you if you study the Greek and you get nothing new, that's good news. Um, yeah. Let's see. Dustin Dusty Matthew says, any tips for me, a teen that has done uh, messages for chapel at my high school? Oh, just learn from it, man. Just keep learning from those messages. And uh, I mean, this whole study, the whole thing here is meant to be tips for you. Um, You know, don't worry about your insecurities and your fears. Um, You just step out and share truth. If you study hard and you find this is what's true in the word, that gives you the courage to go ahead and speak it forth into people's lives. Don't worry too much about your performance. You can expect that you're going to, stumble here or stumble there you know not do it as good here as you could have just know that you have a true thing that you really want to share and then go out and share it for the glory of god and to bless others and then do it again and get better at it for the lord yeah jeff Ferrier says uh, how do you keep from mishandling the word when you're teaching or preaching topically um that's by checking the the, the context of every passage i will quote topically so i'm going to topically quote this but i'm gonna check the context check the context Topical teaching requires also a larger, broader understanding of the word in general. So if you don't have this sort of general understanding of scripture, you just shouldn't teach topically. I don't know what else to put it. Um, so those two things. Yeah, every verse you're going to quote in your topical study, you read not only the verse, you read the context around it, make sure you're quoting it correctly. Uh, Jacob Rubio says, how strongly would you recommend seminary for someone considering full-time ministry or pastoring? I actually think it's, it's I think some kind of education is really good for you to get. Um, whether it's seminary or online classes, but I think be very picky about where you go because you want to go somewhere where, they te- where they're faithful. And so ask around, call around. I couldn't give you recommendations because I just don't know which seminaries I would recommend. Uh, but I would be doing a lot of research if I was going to go to one myself before committing. Um, so I think it'd be a great idea. I don't think you have to have that to do ministry. I just don't. But obviously it's, it's helpful to grow and learn and study these things. You can also do it just topically, you know, pick, pick just learn Greek online study Greek resources, online study, you know, individual things. Lots of colleges and stuff will offer online stuff you can do, um, whether you get the degree or not. Um, What do you believe about, this is from Isaiah Jones, about the second coming, it's something I'm going to study. Thanks for everything, Mike. My blessing to be able to be a blessing to you guys. Um, What do I think about the second coming? I think it's a future event that's really going to happen and that Jesus is going to come establish his kingdom on this earth. That's my view of the second coming. Um, Dan of the Dead, should you leave a church that does zero expository teaching? I'm not very good at answering should I leave this church questions, and I'll tell you why. It's complicated. It is. You got to ask yourself questions, Dan, like, can I make a difference here? Um, Can I help change? Can I help bring the difference that needs to be happening? Okay, it may not be expository, but is it still biblically sound teaching? Okay, um, if it's not biblically sound, oh, but how invested am I in ministry here? How invested am I in the fellowship with the people here? There's a lot of questions you have to ask and pray about, and I'm not very good at answering those for anybody else. Um, what's a good resource for learning good hermeneutics? Oh, just get a hermeneutics book. Um, I have one by, let me, what was the hermeneutics book I had by? I don't remember, but it's not like I've read a bunch and would be able to recommend the best of them. Uh, just, I would say go online and, and go order a hermeneutics book uh, and start checking it out. Yeah. Um, we're almost done here, guys. We're going to close it up for the night, but a couple more questions. Late Leighton says, What if my pastor's teaching uh, off teachings? Do I approach them? And if so, how? Okay, I would say first ask the question, How important is this off teaching? Second, ask, ask yourself, How's the best way to approach him if I should? So if it's pretty important, uh, pretty consistent, approach them in private, approach them um, with a humble attitude, set your emotions aside and try to build an open door, and just say, I would just be honest, and say, I have some questions about some of the things that you've taught, I disagree with you on those things, but I really want to be respectful, and so is it okay if I talk to you about it, and you, if you approach them that way, it might build a bridge, because what you don't want to do is have the way you approach them just shut down the whole conversation, because of maybe their pride, or maybe because they're so used to people coming at them, that they're just tired of it, Um, but they need to be open to listening to these sorts of things, so yeah, if it's, if it's off on serious issues, you approach them humbly, approach them privately. If it's if it's serious issues and they don't listen privately, then you can go to other leaders in the church um, to try to go to that to him again with the help of those leaders. That would be my initial thoughts. Um, Honest Conversation says, What happens when you when you've done sound study prep for a lesson and you come to a conclusion about the text that differs from the church leadership? Okay, so I'll tell you how I handle this, because it does happen. To me. Um, I say my pastor, Pastor Gary, he teaches this on this topic. I think it's this. Here's why. And I don't think my pastor has a problem with that. Um, we're not talking majors here, we're talking about things we can agree to disagree on. And so I we we, we share those and I I acknowledge the leadership that that has that view, and then I explain my my view and my reasoning behind it, and I try not to, you know get people into my camp, I just try to do my normal Bible study, that's how I handle it, um, and I would be okay with someone doing the same to me, well, Mike says this, but I think it's this, I would be okay with them doing that, because they have to be faithful to what they are reading in the text, so yeah, uh, Late lateson last question for tonight says, hey Mike, what if my pastor teaches something, oh, I already answered that, <laughs> so I guess that was the last question, so, um, yeah, cool. Thanks, you guys, for uh, for joining with me. If you happen to be going to the Rethink Apologetics conference this weekend in Costa Mesa, um, California, I'm actually going to be teaching uh, one of the breakout sessions at that. And if you are going to be there, please come and say hi to me. I'd love to meet you and shake your hand. Uh, don't be shy about it. I'd love to just get to see your face. You've seen mine more than is probably necessary. Um, yeah, but, uh, but God bless you guys. Um, we'll be picking up next week with more stuff and things, theology and apologetics, learning to think biblically about everything. Uh, If you have Bible tips for people that I haven't shared, please put them in the comments down below. I just want more people to be able to grow from the content. It's been good. Have a great day.